Well, good morning, Real Life Church. How you doing? This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Man, I love being at church. Amen. How many of you guys are grateful to be back in the house of God? One of the things that I miss about church is the atmosphere. There's something about believers coming together, worshiping God, that creates an atmosphere uh, for, for peace, for joy, for freedom, to where if a family member, our brother and sister in Christ, is feeling a little heavy, the atmosphere we create from coming together can really help set somebody free. Amen? How many of you guys ready for the word? Oh, you can do better than that. How many of y'all ready for the word? Well, I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 7. Um, I'm going to read this passage in its entirety, and then I will give you the title that I'll be speaking from. Let's go ahead and read 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them. All of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food. Everyone say spiritual food. All of them drank the same spiritual water. Say spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Here's the part that I want us to pay attention to. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. What I want to talk to you from today's topic is righteous appetites. Tell your neighbor, say righteous appetites. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to speak to your people. Thank you, Pastor Brandon. Father, I just pray that you would speak through me and think through me. Help me to articulate this word with simplicity and clarity that every person in here can receive this word on good grounds. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Let's give God one more round of applause. Shout out to Pastor Brandon and the worship team. Um, before I dive deeper into this topic of uh, righteous appetites, um, I first wanted to just kind of share a thought with you that isn't it the testament of God's power of how we can go through something and not look like what we came through? Amen. Many people who heard my testimony, they're always shocked to hear that um, my biological father was murdered when I was one and um, I was incarcerated. And from 14 to 24, as I share deeper parts of my testimony with those I know, they see that I made a lot of bad decisions. And they look at me as like, I would have never thought you went, with, went through all of that. Amen. And that's, that's the power of God's testimony is that he can take us from our past and we don't have to look like what our past was. Amen. And I, I see in, in this particular passage, 1 Corinthians 10, it says that they were able to walk through the sea on dry ground. In other words, God took the children of Israel out of Egypt and he brought them through the Red Sea on dry ground. Now, before I unpack that a little bit, um, one of the things that I learned about with water and dirt, it creates mud. Amen. Water and dirt creates mud, and in mud allows you to track. Where If you step in mud and wherever you walk, you're going to see some prints. You're going to see some tracks, right? But could I, could I suggest to you that God said that the children of Israel uh, was able to come out of the Red Sea on dry ground because he didn't want them to track their past into their future? Have you, have you ever been in a place where... The children of Israel, the Bible says that Pharaoh and his Egyptian armies was behind them, and the Red Sea was in front of them. So in essence, they had their past behind them, and it was very unclear and uncertain of their purpose or path of God before them. But we all know that even though the past was haunting them and the present was unclear, God wasn't surprised, amen? God can take your past and he can take the uncertainty of your future and still do a miracle with both of them. Not only did he wipe out the Egyptian army, but he created a miracle so that the children of Israel was able to walk on dry ground. 
And I'm here to testify that God can, can, can heal you from your past, and he can make sure your past don't t- step into your future. And God can cover your tracks of your past. Tell your neighbor, God can cover your tracks to where you don't look like your past. So although God can cover your tracks so your past doesn't come into your future, but it is our job to change what we have an appetite for. Oh, Jesus. God can take you out of your past and bring you into a place of your future. But although he delivered you out of your past, my question is, have you been delivered from the appetites of your past? Because you can desire godliness, you can desire freedom, and God will take you out of your past. He will take you out of that addiction. He will take you out of that broken state. He'll take you out of that sexual immorality. He'll take you out of that false sense of security that might come from uh, drugs. But then at some point, you have to feed the right things because if you don't feed the things God wants you to feed, you'll start going back to old appetites for comfort. Can I get an Amen. And what I've learned in my Christian walk is how you feast determines how you behave. Now, I'm not talking about a behavior of working towards righteousness. We know that the the, the manna that was in the Old Testament is symbolic to the bread of life, Jesus, in the New Testament. And although the children of Israel drank from the same spiritual food and they drank from the same spiritual uh, rock, for whatever reason, they still craved an appetite that didn't come from God. Now, we read in Numbers chapter 11, verse 4 through 6, it says, In the mixed multitude among them, the rabble who followed Israel from Egypt began to lust greatly for familiar and dainty food. Everyone say familiar food. And the Israelites wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we ate freely in Egypt without a cost. Hold on, stop, wait a minute, put a little God in it. Some people know that movie reference. (laughs) They said we ate freely from Egypt without a cost. Did they not remember that they were actually slaves in Egypt? So they desired an appetite that kept them in bondage, yet they wanted to go to the promised land, which requires them to have appetites of freedom. So we see in this passage right here, it says, and without cost, then they just started describing a salad from Jack's, the cucumbers. The melons, the leeks, onions, and garlic. I got a little hungry when I started reading this. But now our soul, our strength is dried up. There is nothing at all in the way of food to be seen but this manna. They just totally discredit the food that supernaturally sustained them because they were influenced by people who came out of slavery and brought appetites for them to go back to bondage. Could I, could I say to you that sometimes when God wants to bring you to a promised land, when God wants to bring freedom, when he wants to set you free, you have to be careful who you are influenced by. Because the Bible says that bad company corrupts good manners. And I I believe you show me who speaks into your life, I can show you where you're going to end up in life. So we see right here, they are influenced to want appetites of bondage when God had gave them manna from heaven, supernatural food that will sustain them. So the question is, was the children of Israel starving or were they craving something they should have never ate? Now, oftentimes, the Bible uses, really, you can look at the, 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 God, all of the Bible is a revelation of who God is. So we see all throughout scriptures, God uses food to teach us about spiritual growth. It's not that God was hungry when he was writing the scripture. <laughs> He's God, right? He, he, he doesn't hunger, right? He's, he's self-sustained. But God is using an analogy, a metaphor. He's using a poetic analogy to help us understand spiritual growth. That's why God says, thirst, those who thirst and and hunger for righteousness, they shall be filled. You see Jesus saying, drink of this cup, eat of this bread, right? You see see, uh, 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 Satan deceive Adam and Eve with, with food. All of this was to point to a spiritual truth. And manna was supposed to point to the truth that we are fully sustained in Jesus. Fully sustained in the word. This is why in 1 Corinthians 10, it says this is written for an example for us. That some of the things that you're looking for is not outside of Christ, it's in Christ. 
One of the things we have to learn, and I'm not trying to get too deep, is we are not spiritual beings immersed, or excuse me, we're not physical beings immersed in a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings immersed in a physical experience, which means I am more spirit than I am flesh. And I have a spiritual appetite just as well as I have a, a physical appetite. And if we starve ourselves physically, we know that it, it, it results in, in misbehavior sometimes. In the same way, if we don't feast on men, if we don't feast on Jesus, if we don't feast on his word, on prayer, on community, on God, we can go in life starving. And when you are starving spiritually, you start grabbing things that are unhealthy to your soul. When you are starving spiritually, you'll start grabbing pornography to make you feel alive again. When you're starving spiritually and you need peace of mind, you'll start trying to smoke weed to get peace of mind. But these are appetites from the world, and God is saying, I got manna, I got Jesus for you. You don't need these appetites of the world to sustain you. Jesus, the bread of life, will sustain you. Say the bread of life. Our, 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 excuse me, oftentimes our appetites is influenced by who we hang around. We see this in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, God had given them the best menu. He, he gave them the secret menu, y'all. He gave them the menu that is for special people. You can eat from this tree, but don't eat from this. And what, what we have to realize is the analogy of food is pointing to a spiritual truth. And I want to show you the spiritual truth of what Satan wants to get you caught up in and feasting on apart from God. Because if you can eat from Satan's suggestions, you can stay away from God's freedom and promised land. In fact, when you take Satan's suggestions, you actually give him authority in your life because there is no neutral ground. You are either walking with God or you are in the flesh. You got to walk with God. Walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You can't be in the flesh and in the spirit. <laughs> so in Genesis, Satan brings doubt to Adam and Eve. He said, did God really say that? So he's trying to get humanity to question what God said. Did God really say you need to be accountable? Did God really say you need to pray? Did God really say you need to give and be generous? Does it take all of that? And then he says, God knows. Oh, not only did he bring doubt, but then he also tried to say God knows. He tried to speak on behalf of God. God knows that when you eat from this fruit, from this tree, you'll be wise and like God. So they ate from that tree. Sin came in, but it wasn't the fruit that Satan was offering. He was offering something else. You guys want to know what that is? Come back next week. No, I'm just playing. Just seeing if y'all was listening. <laughs> he wasn't offering food. He was offering self-sufficiency. Oh, Jesus. He was offering a life independent of God when God created humans to be interdependent with him in the body. We weren't created to be independent of God. We were created to be connected to God. So what he's trying to do is introduce self-sufficiency, which actually disconnects us from God because we need God. It's in our intimacy with God that our hearts is fully sustained and fulfilled. There's a, there is a, there is a God-sized hole in your heart, and only he can fill it. Drugs can't fill it. A boyfriend can't fill it. A girlfriend can't fill it. Uh, uh, whatever the world has to offer, it can't fill it. Only God can fill the void in your heart. So he brought self-sufficiency, and from self-sufficiency, you see the demise of the human race start to happen. Now you see from Adam and Eve's self-sufficiency, their issues begin to pass on down to their kids. Oh, Jesus, appetites that us as parents don't check gets passed down to our kids. And I think it's very hypocritical of us to be mad of our kids not conquering an appetite that we passed down to them that we didn't conquer ourselves. It's easy to be mad at your kid for something you didn't do because you can direct the anger at them when that anger should be at you. 
This is what you call a generational curse. My my biological father passed when I was one years old, knew nothing of him, never got a chance to meet, encounter his personality, his ways. However, there'll be times when I was 14, 15, 16, and my mom would say, hey, you are on the path that your dad was on, which is not a good path. How is that? Because the appetites that he didn't face and defeat got passed on down to me generational appetites you mad because your kids struggling with sexuality will have you struggle with sexuality do you know the vulnerability of saying hey I struggle with that as well will free them to not make them think that they are tripping you can validate them you can let them know that you are not in this alone one of the most freeing ways of how I parent is when I share to my oldest son my struggles because it's in me sharing my struggles, he's not looking at dad's success, he's looking at dad's process. And it's in the process he learns who God is. Could it be that we want the success of God without the process of God? That's self-sufficiency. We want the benefits, we want the word or the, the rewards, but we don't want the word, we, won't, we don't want the way, and we don't want the process. And when you're self-sufficient, Satan can bring counterfeit process. Process that offers nutrients devoid of purpose and destiny. Similar to processed foods can offer you nutrient without the the, the protein and things that you need. That's funny, right? Satan wants to offer you process without God and processed food. No, I was like, (laughs) I was trying to make something happen out of that one. But what I've learned is I I can't be mad at something DJ is doing that I haven't conquered it myself. It was, it was a moment in our younger state when I'm like, I'm, he keep lying, and then I realized I was lying in some areas. <laughs> you mad because they sneaky. You mad because they lying. You mad because they doing things. Are you mad because they're reminding you of something you didn't defeat in your own life? Oh, Jesus. I ain't trying to come for you. I'm just... <laughs> We have to understand that an appetite unrelated, un- unregulated, an appetite that we don't check, it has consequences to it. So therefore, me, myself, I, I refuse to let the appetites that my dad never conquered to pass to my kids. Because even on a pastoral, and not just, not just on a father level, on a leadership level, because not all of us are parents in here, you can't produce in someone what you have not produced in yourself. We're trying to produce things in others that we haven't even claimed territory and have authority in ourselves. So Satan wants to offer you self-sufficiency. And that's what boils down to how humanity failed. They tried to have life or have, 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 have a garden experience without God who created the garden. Ooh, Jesus. So we see all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, humanity's appetites often got in the way of God's will. From Adam and Eve, then we see Cain and Abel, then we see Jacob and Esau. Esau, God had legacy for him, but the appetite of comfort caused him to sell his legacy. Is laziness robbing you of the success that 2021 has for you? Oh, somebody got mad at that one. There's, a, there, there, there's, there's books and Proverbs that talk about slothfulness and laziness and lasciviousness because laziness will try to rob you of what God has for you because there is no reward without responsibility. There is no reward without you working. Not a work of being, uh, working for salvation, but it's a work in, in, in what I mean, co-laboring with God, a partnership with God. This is why he gave us the menu of the fruits of the Spirit, self-control, patience and then you have the menu of the flesh and God tells you you have this menu and you have that menu although this menu is not going to end well you're going to have gas you're going to be diarrhea you're going <laughs> you're going to be throwing up this menu you'll be able to run miles you'll be able to hit the weights he's letting us know spiritually that this menu is more conducive to our spiritual growth this menu hurts our growth so where you see humanity from Old Testament to New Testament, kept missing it. And I realized humanity kept missing it because humanity in the Old Testament and in New Testament, they didn't have what you and I have. See, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 that God was a cloud by day, a fire by night. So that means God was on the outside of them, regulating them to change. 
But him being on the outside trying to get them to change was so that humanity can come to a place and say, God, this is too hard. I can't change with all these rules and regulation. And that's when Jesus shows up and said, thank you that you said you can't because I can. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. See, it's only when you realize you can't change your appetite. You can't. And and when I say I can't, meaning that you can't generate a new appetite on your own. It requires you to accept Jesus, become a new creation. He gives you a new heart, new desires, and therefore now you have the capacity to have new appetites that you feed. I'm not talking about an appetite that you got to work on your own. Jesus did the work. He says, you know what? I'm going to change you from the inside out. I'm going to change all that stuff that you want and you desire. I'm going to give you seed form of new godly appetites. Although you have carnal appetites, if you start feeding this, what's going to happen is if you focus on what you eat, you'll stop avoiding what you shouldn't be eating on. Can I get an amen? Y'all with me? So Jesus is showing us the metaphor of spiritual truth. He calls himself the bread of life. We see in the Last Supper, he's like, hey, drink from this cup, eat from this bread. This represents my blood. This represents my body. Again, there there goes with food. We see food as a reoccurring thing because God is trying to get to us and tell us about our appetites. God can deliver you from all of what you came out of, but unless you allow Christ to come in you, change you from the inside out, and now you start pursuing new appetites, you will go back to bondage when God has already set you free. And if you don't know this, you'll be mad at God. You'll be frustrated. You'll start blaming God for things that Satan did. And you'll start, you'll start being frustrated and disappointed and you'll start becoming bitter in life because you didn't recognize that there is a responsibility. You have to respond to God's ability on the inside of you to change you, to transform you, to resurrect you into a new version of you. God is not speaking to the you you once were. He's speaking to the you that you are to become. And he helps you go from what you once were to who you are to become by which you eat in the process. As you eat, prayer, as you eat community, as you eat fellowship, as you eat forgiveness, as you eat peace, as you eat unity, as you eat joy, as you eat praise, as you eat worship, you'll begin to see that I was here at one point and over the process of eating healthy, I'm now in purpose. I'm now in destiny. I'm now a good father. I'm now a good wife. I'm now a good parent because what I ate determined and predicated on how I behave. What I eat doesn't determine my salvation. What I eat doesn't unravel my righteousness, but it will unravel my life. Because Jesus paid the price for you to be saved. Righteousness is a gift, which means you can't unearn it. But you can eat poorly spiritually and never yield or step into all of what righteousness has to offer. Oh, Jesus, somebody say amen. If it hurts, say ouch. Oftentimes I realize that Satan brings old or new appetites in seasons of transition. Yeah, you can clap for that one. Why? Because when I'm stepping out of one season that I'm familiar with, right? The children of Israel, I like the familiar meat. But when I'm stepping into a new season where I'm stretched, where I don't know what's in front of me, I don't know how things are going to like work out. Guess what happens? God moves you from an enslaved system and now he's putting you back on a God dependent system. So that way you go from being a slave and in the process of transition, you're learning how to let go of self-sufficiency. And now you're learning how to be God dependent. And in this process, it's very vulnerable. You're, you're, you're learning how to how to, you're learning new things again. And that's when Satan tries to bring new, new or old appetites is in transition because in transition, you are very delicate. You are very vulnerable. If you think about the process of a caterpillar to a butterfly, that metamorphous process, that caterpillar goes into this liquidated state to where if you poke him, why are, I don't know if a butterfly is a him or her, but if you poke the butterfly, 
why it's in a cocoon, it will die because it's most fragile. So you got to let it go through a process so it goes from a caterpillar to a butterfly. So when we are in transition, we're uh, similarly to this, this uh, metamorphic process where Satan knows if I can poke you in this process, I might can get you to go back to bondage. If I can poke you this way, I can get you to go back to an old boyfriend, an old girlfriend, our old ways because that's where we're most susceptible to be hurt. As somebody who really has a passion for relationships, I always see it happen that when someone breaks up with someone and then now they're learning from how to be with someone that they were unhealthy attached to, to learning how to be alone. It's in that aloneness that that person is supposed to understand that they're not alone. It's in that aloneness they were supposed to encounter the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the counselor, the advocate, the player Kedis, the standby. But if you don't learn that you are not alone in that process, Satan can bring you people that you should have never even had in that process with you. And now you find yourself in a relationship with somebody you wouldn't otherwise had been with. But loneliness will cause you to pick somebody you should have never picked. Be in a relationship with somebody you would never be with because you're in transition from learning how to be in an unhealthy attachment to being alone so that God can show you that he is love. He is your source. You don't need to be self-sufficient. You don't need to rely on a person. You need to rely on me, the bread of life, the food I have you know not of. It's the food to do the will of God. Do you know there is more nutrition? and obedience than comfort? Oh, Jesus. Why do we know that? Because Jesus says when the disciples went to him in the book of John chapter 4 after he went to the woman, with, uh, the woman at the well and he says, where's your husband? And, and she's like, I don't have a husband. He's like, that's right. You had about five of them. And, you, and the guy you're living with now ain't even your husband. And he's telling her the thirst that you've been trying to quench with all these guys, with promiscuity, with relationship, with connection. You are really looking for a connection with me. All this dating, all this unnecessary romance that keeps ending in calamity, that's ending in bad things. Guess what? Could it be that it's not going to work? Because until God is enough, nobody will ever be enough. And the disciples who were very uh, perplexed that Jesus is speaking to a woman, right? And master, did you eat? And he says, you know not the food I eat of. But my food is to do the Father's will. Let me tell you something. When you are in a moment where you feel like giving up, when you are in a moment where you feel like sinning, when you are in a moment that you feel like dying, guess what? Obedience will give you the extra nutrition that you need. Obedience will supply you because his grace is sufficient and his power works perfect in weakness. But you can't experience God just in knowing him on an informational level. You have to go from knowing him informationally to now applying the word, having a new experience, and let that experience now renew the way you used to look at God. We know God informationally, but we don't know God experientially because we get the word, we feast on it, and then we have opportunities to apply it, and we don't apply it. So we stay in the knowledge space. But we never step into understanding. We never step into the depth of that scripture. We never step into the depth of who God is because we didn't take what we knew, applied it consistently, not just once, not just one week, not just one month, but you made a commitment to make this your lifestyle. You never experienced that to see the goodness of God. You never experienced to see that the goodness of God in his presence brings joy and pleasure forevermore. Oh, Jesus, I am sweating up here. I feel like I'm hooping right now. So transition, if you are not careful, transition will get the best of you when it doesn't have to get the best of you. And I also noticed that it's interesting that I used to always look at humanity's fall behind the fruit of self-sufficiency, which is true. But really, how did Satan even bring the fruit to them? He first had to package it in the form of a conversation. I believe our conversations with ourselves determine how we perceive God. When is the last time you regulated your self-talk? Because could it be that your self-talk is being instigated by demonic influences? 
Could it be that your self-talk is telling you at 35, I'm getting kind of old, my biological clock is ticking, I need to get married? See, Satan brings self-sufficiency through conversation. You know what? Just because Satan speaks facts doesn't mean he speaks truth. Oh, he'll speak facts. But his facts is to set you up for a deception. God speaks true. Satan to tell you, 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 you this old, right, which is facts. But then after he tell you this old, then he'll offer you a counterfeit process to get what you want because you feel like you're getting old and it's not going to happen. Just because he speaks facts don't mean he speaks truth. In fact, the Bible says he is an angel of light masquerading himself. The Bible says that there is a way to a man or a woman that seems right, but in the end, it leads to destruction, which means Satan doesn't show up like, hey, I'm a distraction. I'm about to mess your life up. I'm about to mess your mind up if you make this decision. No, he shows up. I got your back. You need some peace? I got you. You don't want to be alone? I got you. He offers worldly solutions which will give you the pleasure now, but what it does is it hurts your purpose in the future. He doesn't mind giving you a right now pleasure to rob you of a future purpose. Because some of the decisions that you make, yes, you can be forgiven of. Yes, God will heal you of, but some decisions have longer trauma effects to it. It does. I remember I was, I'm not going to say her name, I remember I was dating this girl and I knew God didn't want me to date her. And finally, like this, obviously this is before Stacy. <laughs> obviously, come on y'all. <laughs> and I knew she was not good for me, but yet I kept going back to her because she brought comfort in a season of transition. And I didn't know how to face the pain of not having what I used to have to step into something new that I don't know what it looks like. I didn't know how to face the pain, so I used that relationship as an anesthesia to numb me of something that I needed to face, that I just didn't want to be alone. So that relationship numbed me, but it took me about three and a half years to get over that relationship. It took some embarrassment. It took me driving by our house to see if some dude is over there and realize, dang, a guy is over there. <laughs> Tell the truth and shame the devil. It took me losing myself to actually find it myself. You know, sometimes it's not too bad if you're really broken. Sometimes it's not too bad where you feel like you lost yourself because when you actually lost yourself, you're closest to your real self. It's when you think you found yourself outside of God, that's when you really lost yourself. Self-sufficiency. Oh, Jesus. Y'all getting something else from the, what the first service got. You're getting, you're getting something else on the menu. <laughs> So I want to talk about how we can have a desire for godliness, but still have ungodly appetites. Because that's the tension most of us live in, is that I, I, I desire to be a good man. I desire to be a good Christian, but yet I still have appetites that lure me out of what I desire. In fact, Samson was anointed to kill Philistines, but yet he had an appetite for Philistine women. What happens when you're anointed to kill something that you got an appetite for? That's that, right? What happens when you are anointed to kill addiction in your life, but you still got an appetite for it? What happens when you have an anointing to kill the generational rage from your father to you to your sons? What happens when you have an anointing to kill that rage? Because rage will always destroy its landlord. You don't ever want to let anger or rage live in your house. Because it will always evict the landlords of that house. It will take over that house. What happens when we are anointed to deal with that brokenness from our childhood trauma, but yet we have an appetite for the very things that we experience perversion in? What happens, I want to tell us, is you can be conflicted without compromising. Romans 7 says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I do want to do, I, I don't do. It was, it was confusing nevertheless. Like, I was like, Paul, you're confusing me right now. What you don't want to do, you do. What you do want to do, you don't. Who can save me from this? Then Paul points us to Jesus. And when he points us to Jesus, if you continue reading in that passage, he actually points us to a spiritual law where he says, now therefore is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
that the law, the spirit of life, has freed me from the law of sin and death. And we see in Galatians and in, in, in Romans that uh, the writer helps depict that there are the carnal appetites and the fleshly appetites. And although you can desire one and be conflicted about both, guess what? Go ahead and say what? <laughs> that gave me a pause to wipe my eye real quick. I'm, I'm over here tasting my hair products in my mouth right now. <laughs> Has some cocoa butter in it. Let me see. Shea butter. I think that's some olive oil. Berries and juices. And I was <laughs> Where was I at? Guess what? What was I talking about? Paul. That's right. <laughs> Paul is introducing a new law that Christians have access to. That if you walk in this law... You don't have to fulfill that law, which means we have underestimated the power of our will. I'm not talking about willpowering your way into victory. I'm talking about taking your will, surrendering to the will of God, and that brings victory. We see in the first garden, Adam and Eve gave up their willpower, right? And then we see in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is praying and blood is like drops of blood is coming from uh, his, his, his mind, which means he, he was at the most intense agony place. He was stressing, y'all. That, that's the best way I can say it. And yet he says, not my will, but your will be done. What is he doing? He is redeeming humanity's will through blood because it's where blood things get redeemed. It's when blood things get repurchased. And Jesus is purchasing our willpower to surrender back to the will of God. So don't say you can't do it. Don't say it's hard. It may be hard, but sometimes it's not about if you can't. It's about do you want I realize some people say they want to get out of sin, but their sin brings them benefits. Sin, you, you, you know you shouldn't be in this relationship, but you get some Jordans out of the relationship. <laughs> you know you shouldn't be in that friendship, but you get free meals out of the friendship. It's not because you can't. You have to ask yourselves, it's because you don't want to. We have placed our feelings as God, and we have made our chooser as not a God. In other words, let me say this a little bit better. We have made what we feel stronger than what we choose. Your chooser is more powerful than your filler because Jesus redeemed your ability to choose God's will back. All throughout the Old Testament, the men of God, the women of God, they couldn't obey God because they didn't have it in them. The, the, the law was written on stone tablets. In other words, change couldn't happen externally, then internally. So God said, I'm going to make a new covenant in Jeremiah 31. I'm going to make a covenant where, where, where I'm going to give you a new heart, a new spirit. I'm going to give you a, mess, a messianic covenant, and I'm going to take you out of the Mosaic covenant, and I'm going to allow you to have a new heart, a new spirit that will respond to the things that I want you to feast on. But some things won't change because you want them to change. You're going to have to renew your mind to change. Somebody said renew your mind. You know, sometimes, you know, at different, when, when I speak at different places and, you know, people come up and they're like, can you pray for me? And I believe God can deliver somebody in a moment of addiction, deliver somebody in a moment of whatever it is. I believe in the supernatural power of God. However, God doesn't always work that way. We see in the book of Nehemiah that the temple got rebuilt. God's presence got rebuilt without any miracles or supernatural signs of wondering. It was in the day-to-day -day practical grind. Oh, somebody didn't want to hear that. Nehemiah was responsible for helping rebuild the temple, rebuild the presence of God. And if you're going to rebuild your life from your, your past, if you're going to rebuild your life from what happened to you, it may not come in always supernatural signs and wonders. It can. I've had supernatural signs and wonders happen to me, but sometimes it comes in the discipline, in the mundane to get to the momentous. There are mundane moments that we have to steward. I, I, I truly believe people of destiny have to be people who know how to win the day. Oh, Jesus. Shout out to the book we're reading. <laughs> 
People of destiny have to know how to win the day because if you win the day, you'll win the week. You win the week, you'll win the month. You win the month, you'll win the year. You'll start winning in life. That's why his mercies are new every morning because he's saying win the morning, win the day. He's trying to give us the revelation that we are to uh, 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 discipline ourselves. Can I get an amen? amen? So in one wilderness, we see God's people was defeated. And then in the second wilderness, Jesus overcame the enemy. And in one garden, we see Adam and Eve give over to Satan. And in the second garden, we see Jesus overcome uh, Satan or overcome temptation. I want to bring us to this point in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As I'm getting ready to close, it says 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is further down from the, the passage I was reading from chapters 1 through 7. It says no temptation because I get it. Some temptations is like, Pastor Damon, I hear what you're saying. I hear the role of the will, but you don't know this temptation I got. And sometimes sin is such a difficult enemy to handle because it's intimately intertwined with our mind, will, and our emotions. It's embedded into us. So sin will offer you things that you like, not things that you don't like. And that's why temptation can be tough. But we, but we know that God has not given us uh, these temptations because in James it says, don't say that God is tempting you, right? You are tempted when your own desires entice you and lead you to sin. And when sin conceives, it gives birth to death. So it's our temptations, right? But this is important. Because we have to understand that we have power over our temptations. No temptation, regardless of its source, has overtaken or enticed you that is not common to human experience. That, see, that, that's something that I will confess over myself every day. Any temptation, I, God, I thank you that there is no temptation that will overtake me that's not common to man. See, one of the ways that you are going to get out of old appetites into new appetites is using your words correctly. Your words have power. Tell your neighbor, your words got power. I say to myself always, I always do these things that are pleasing to the Lord. Father, I thank you that you're a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. I'm always using my words to speak the word in areas where I'm, I'm a little bit uh, 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 tempted in. I need to add word to that. I need to speak and declare the goodness of God over that. And it says, uh, not common to human experience, nor is any temptation unusual or beyond human resistance. But God is faithful to his word. Everyone say God is faithful. God watches over his word to perform it. His word will not return void. If you allow the word to live in your heart, the word will help transform you. God is watching over his word. He's faithful to his word. And it says right here, uh, 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 but along with the temptation, he has in the past and now is, will always provide the way out as well so that you will be able to endure it without yield, yielding or overcoming or, or will overcome temptation with joy. Got a little distracted. Messages was coming in. But this particular passage is one of the most misquoted passages we see. Because right here, Paul is talking to a Corinthian church, a, a church at Corinth, who was a very sexual, sensual, intellectual, enlightened group of people. So they had a lot of different appetites. They had a lot of different temptations. And he's saying that, you know what, God will help you overcome any temptation. But people take this scripture and they use this phrase, God will not give me no more than what I can handle. That's not what this passage is saying. This passage is talking about temptation, not trials and tribulations. In fact, sin brought trials and tribulations, so God is not bringing any trials or tribulation on you. But his goodness will take what the enemy meant for bad and turn it for good. Here's the deception in thinking that God will never give you no more than you can handle. Then it will put a temptation on you to be self-sufficient again. Because if you know, like Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, I, the sentence of death we felt was on us. And we were in a situation beyond what we can handle. And then he says, but it was so that I can rely on God and not on myself. See, if you think God is giving you something or you think God would not give you no more than what you handle, then you will contribute trials and tribulations to God. And if you think God is giving you trials and tribulations, then you won't resist trials and tribulations that's coming from Satan. You won't resist the enemy if you think God gave you that trial and tribulation. This is why this passage needs to stay in context that God is talking about. He will give you the power to overcome temptation. But in life, you will have things that you can't handle. 
in this world you'll have trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer, Jesus says, because I have overcame them. And then he tells us that if you believe in Jesus, if you believe in the word, you will overcome the world. Now, if you don't have God, you won't overcome the world. Because how do we overcome the world? Through love by faith. It's our faith in God because we know God loves us. And if we know God loves us, we know God will never allow us to be in a situation that will harm us or take advantage of us. And as I close, the Bible says, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. It's not talking about planet Earth when it says the world. It's talking about the world system. And then it helps us describe what the world system is. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The same temptation that Satan used to attack Adam and Eve and the same temptation that Satan tried to use to attack Jesus. Satan is always trying to tempt us with appetites that offer us pleasure, purpose, and counterfeit processes. (laughs) But I hear God saying today, I love this passage in Psalms 34, 8 through 10. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. There goes again, God using food language. God might be a spiritual foodie. (laughs) Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Or fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Father, I just thank you for the word that went forth. God, I thank you that it did not fall on shallow grounds, but it will fall on good grounds. Just real briefly, if you are in here today and you feel like some of your appetites, we ain't got to get specific, but some of your appetites are getting the best of you. I believe that God can reset your taste buds. I believe that God can reset your spiritual hunger. But I believe you first have to acknowledge those ungodly hungers. If you're in here today and you know there's some appetites that you need to starve and there's some appetites in God that you need to feed, I just want you to raise your hand. Raise your hand. I see that hand. If you're in here and you're like, you know what, I'm tired of living in this conflicted place and compromising. And I want to get to this place where I could be conflicted, but I'm still yielding to truth. Because we are not the temptations we face, we are the virtues we choose to embrace. If that's you and you're tired of being conflicted, this is the second call. You're tired of being conflicted. You have all these godly desires, but when you go home or when you're alone or in your secret cave, you have some not so godly appetites and they're getting the best of you. They're robbing you of the best that God has for you. It's causing you to look at meat when God is giving you manna. It's causing you to compare and covet and look at everybody else's life versus looking at the bread of life who will sustain you. Somebody needs to hear that. You're looking at everybody else's life on social media and you're comparing and you're contrasting. But God is saying, I'm the bread of life. Don't compare you to to social media. Look at you as as it pertains to the lens of the word of God. Find the real you in the word if that's you. If you raise your hand for the first and the second call applies to you too, if you are conflicted but you want to overcome this conflict, go ahead and raise your hand. I want to pray with you and for you. I see those hands. I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. I'm going to make one more call. You can put your hands down. If you are in here and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, well, before you can even win over your appetite, you need to let a stronger man come in. You need to let Jesus bind the strong man because he is stronger than the enemy. I want to encourage you and offer or suggest that you choose Jesus. If you want your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, if you don't know God, you don't know him to be the bread of life. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him and not perish shall receive everlasting life. If you're in here today and you don't know Jesus, but you want Jesus to be the lover of your soul, you want to be introduced to a new menu, new appetites, You want salvation? Go ahead and raise your hand, and I want to pray with you and for you. Lastly, all those who raised your hand, I saw you. I want you to stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Come on. The Bible says that when you confess me, 
before God, before man, I will confess you before my heavenly father. Standing up is a sign of surrender. It's, 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 it's breaking pride. It's breaking whatever is causing you to want to, to wanna not stand up. I believe humility is the way to God's goodness. Humility, the Bible says, he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proudful. And for those that are standing, I just want to say, well done. This is where it starts. You got to desire God, but then you have to discipline yourself in the things of God so that way you can delight in what God wants you to have. For those that are standing, can you stretch your hands towards someone that is standing to your neighbor to the left, right behind you? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your precious sheep. I declare the blood of Jesus over them, Father. I pray that you would take out every ungodly desire. I ask that you would remove the stronghold that is causing them to go back to ungodly appetites. God, I pray that you would strengthen them, renew them in their mind as they spend time with you, that they will know that everything they need is in you, Father. I come against the illusion or the mirage that the old is better. This way is better. God, I pray that you would introduce them to new food, new spiritual truth. I pray that you would introduce them into things that will help sustain them, not just meet a need in the moment. I break every demonic plan and satanic assignment off their life. God, I ask that you would change their taste buds. As they thirst and hunger for righteousness, I ask that you fill them right now, God. Sprinkle some salt on their life in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you that they are the light of the world, Lord. I thank you that they will no longer live dimmed or controlled or bound by their appetites, but they will walk in the freedom in God that is found in Jesus, that they will no longer have to perform for righteousness, but they will receive righteousness and receive what you would have for them to eat from. Bless them and keep them, Father. I thank you as you bless this service. Thank you as you bless your people, Lord. We declare that they are the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, the lender and not the borrower, and everything they touch shall prosper in Jesus' name. We have some prayer words that will come on up. If you want some additional prayer about anything we talked about, feel free to come on up and allow the fervent prayer of the righteous to bless you, the affection and fervent prayer of the righteous. God bless you guys. I'll be in the back. If there's any new guests, I would love to greet you, get to know you, and we also have a gift, a gift for you. So God bless you. Have a wonderful day. God bless. Peace. Welcome, welcome to RLC.